today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie Van Gogh, Monet and Vermeer. In the last number of years, we've seen more and more famous artworks become the target of vandals who use world-famous masterpieces as platforms for their protests. Most recently, climate activists threw soup at the glass-protected Mona Lisa in the Louvre in Paris. But high-profile protests like these are not new. In fact, they've happened for hundreds of years. And to talk more about this, I'm joined on the line now by art historian Jessica Fahey. Good morning, Jessica. Hi, Claire. How are you? Very well. I think most people think that this is a is a new phenomenon, but you're telling us that history tells us it's not. Absolutely not. And it has been something going on in terms of destruction of art in various different instances, whether it be war or political um, point or protest. One of the most famous being uh, Michelangelo's David in 1504 when it was first unveiled to the general public in front of the government buildings in Florence. Uh, people threw stones at it. Um, and we think it could have been two of different reasons. One being possibly um, anti-Medici uh, sentiment. And David had often been a symbol of the Medici family. And in Florence, they were now a republic and the Medici had been exiled. So that's one possible. The other may, in fact, be the nudity. And it may have been the followers of Savonarola, who was a sort of fire and brimstone prior who had been preaching against anything to do with um, you know, anything too erotic in art in general public. So um, we've had these types of protests for mm. a variety of reasons as I say. And, and it's, is it more likely that the protest was because of the, the nudity of the figure? Because he had a, a garland installed around his waist after the attack, didn't it? Yes. So the supporters of Savonarola had a bonfire with the vanities maybe about 10 years before that. So anything that was seen as inappropriate uh, was burnt, including things like hair extensions and makeups and things that women would wear. But in terms of the David, having a nude male figure like that, uh, even if it was emulating the classical world, was not normal to have in public. And uh, you're right in saying that he had a little garland at it in the very same year. And since Really, that time onwards, he had some form of fig leaf or something covering the mm. offending area. Okay, and he was a target again in the 90s. A toe, a toe knocked off with a hammer. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this was a sort of interesting one because he'd been moved inside as a consequence of uh, other forms of damage that were happening environmentally and otherwise. So it felt like he was in a more protective environment in the Galleria d'Academia in Florence. But um, an artist who came in with a hammer attacked the toes uh, on one foot of um, Michelangelo's David. And actually a group of people who were standing by tried to steal the pieces of marble that came off as a consequence, but they were all stopped uh, doing that. But the suggestion has been that um, Piero uh, Canata, who's an artist, may have been doing it in some way to make a point or comment on the fact that we hold up artists like Michelangelo is the best that ever existed and nothing's ever going to get better. So uh, a modern artist would have, you know, some umbrage with that. And certainly that's common in Italy from the time of the futurists onwards in the 19-teens who wanted to destroy all the art of the past. Um, But luckily that wasn't too severe damage and it was fixed Mm. perfectly. That's an interesting theory, isn't it? It's like in in Mm. athletics that you would destroy and erase all of the records that existed so that you could go on to be the first and the best. 
Absolutely. And the Renaissance <laughs> is held up as, you know, being the first and the best yeah. in many ways. Uh, listen, I mentioned Mona Lisa at the beginning and the, mm. the soup throwing incident. Um, it's certainly not the first time that the Mona Lisa has mm. been attacked. And the reason it's so famous was because a theft led to it becoming so well recognised in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it's an extraordinary story. So in 1911, um, uh, a young Italian man who um, essentially his point was that he felt the Mona Lisa belonged in Italy, not in uh, France. And he stole it and had it for about two years, tried to sell it to the Uffizi in Florence. And they, of course, called the authorities. Um, Plus, he's incorrect because um, Leonardo brought the Mona Lisa with him to France. So arguing that it should go back to Italy was a sort of new point. But the Mona Lisa has certainly um, gained a sort of fame from that instance, uh, that incident. So prior to that, it would have been considered an important work because it was a surviving painting by Leonardo and he didn't finish many paintings. But it didn't have anywhere near the same that it has today. And it's probably one of the most um, attacked works. Uh, various other people over the years have you know, thrown a teacup at it over not getting French citizenship. Um, it had, as you said recently, uh, cake as well and soup. Um, 2022 is the cake, 24 was the soup. And it's had um, a woman in the 1970s protesting how when it was visiting um, Tokyo, it the people didn't, the authorities essentially didn't allow for uh, disabled access. So she protested on the first day by throwing paint at it. And it did actually result in them allowing uh, a day where people could come in that needed the extra space mm. and extra time to access it. So uh, Mona Lisa has been attacked often. Is it, <laughs> yeah. ever, is it ever loaned out now after that incident in the 70s in Japan? No, and in fact, even the room around us, so it used to share the room with some other paintings and now it has its own space. I think you get something like 30 seconds to go past it these days. Like it really is a highly restricted access. And part of that is because of the threat to it, but also just because of the fame and the amount of people who want to see it. Mm -hmm. So then um, going back again, because that's what we're doing, we're looking at the history of, Mm -hmm. of these protests. And in the 20th century, there was a long tradition of people attacking artwork and one of the first most famous documented cases was a Rembrandt painting The Night Watch Mm -hmm. So The Night Watch again has often been attacked it's one of those that seems to draw that kind of um, fame or attention once you interact with it so in 1911 there was a shoemaker who was out of work and he came in with one of his implements and um, made some um, indentations uh, because they're not proper slashes in this case because the old varnish was so thick on the painting that actually really protected it. It's the reason why the Night Watch is uh, called the Night Watch because it's actually a day scene but the old varnish was so thick and so dark it looked like it was at night time and he was actually protesting losing uh, work with the Navy and he felt that this would be an attack on the state but actually that painting is owned by Amsterdam not by the state so again sort of miss um misdirected uh, anger. Um, it has also then been um, cut with a serrated knife, which was probably the most severe damage that it's had. Um, about 12 times a man cut through the canvas, and that was in the 1970s. And then 1990s, um, it was sprayed with acid. And this is one of those that in, in the instance, it was neutralised, the acid, and they felt that it didn't cause that much damage. But in recent years, they've been doing serious research in the painting and they feel that perhaps 
that damaged might actually reveal itself later. And the man in that instance had actually damaged another 50 paintings in his career from 1977 to 2006. So he was notorious for doing it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the Night Watch is another another victim for sure. So that's so interesting. So the, the acid attack in the 90s, it might still mm. be having an impact on the painting. Yeah, because they don't know exactly what was in the acid. And at first it seemed fine. But then now that they're looking at it on a molecular level and studying it with extraordinary um, new technology, they are finding more issue with it. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to some of the other ones that have been, you know, um, slashed or have things thrown at them. As we get to examine them closer or look at old bad repairs, we can see that those damages might be more permanent than we thought. And given that the Night Watch has been such a regular target, it's very much mm. protected now, is it? It has this massive box around it, um, a glass box. I was there last year and they're also continuing to um, analyse it because there are worries even just about the amount of vibrations in the room for the amount of people who go to see it. So it's on a kind of spring-loaded base now. So it's really fascinating because you can go in at different times and see people who are, you know, in the room checking it, checking the temperature of the room. So they're, I suppose, improving all the technology around preserving a work uh, by using the night watches, this um, kind of example. But the theory now, it seems to be evolving that even if you have the glass box around it, you might not be fully protecting the painting. Yes, yeah, there's always going to be other um, elements in terms of the uh, interaction from just a lot of people being in the room or uh, elements in terms of the age of the work itself, like Michelangelo's David is sort of slightly leaning forward and that's just to do with the work itself. So there's always uh, risk to these, mm. you know, important pieces. There's another very, very famous instant, Jessica, that I want to talk to you about. The British suffragette Mary Richardson um, attacked mm-hmm. a painting called The Toilet of Venus. Why? So it's usually known as the Rokeby Venus and she um, was a suffragette and at the time um, Emmeline Pankhurst was in prison and she'd been arrested for protesting, looking for uh, women's rights to vote and she um, was, every time these women would be taken into jail, they were treated very poorly, they were force-fed food and um, if they went on hunger strike and Mary Richardson thought, well, if I attack the most beautiful woman in mythological history, I'll draw attention to the cause of who she said was the woman with the most beautiful character in modern history, Emmeline Pankhurst. So she took a meat cleaver into the National Gallery in London and uh, slashed the work seven times. And it was one of those things that if you read the, you know, the journalists at the time, they talk more with more compassion about the, you know, flesh wounds of this um, Venus than they do with the suffragettes in prison. And this was kind of Mary Richardson's point. Again, it was also nudity was an issue for her. And she later said that it was because she, you know, another secondary reason, reason, reason for choosing that work was because she was sick of seeing men going in and, you know, staring at this uh, naked body in the in the National Gallery. Mm-hmm. The people tended to care more about the naked woman in the painting than the struggles that women who were all around them were facing, including their Absolutely. right to vote. Mm-hmm. 
So then we go no, back. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, we want to go back even further uh, in time now, in the, in the brief time we have left. But iconoclasm is, is a phenomenon. Uh, there was a whole series of eras of, of this where people believed it was important to destruct icons, images, monuments. And the images and monuments that they targeted were those that were linked to religion or to politics. Yes, so it tends to be predominantly uh, religion, and one of the first, you know, serious examples of this would be the Byzantine uh, iconoclasm in the eighth and ninth centuries, and that was mostly to do with the leader uh, Leo III, who wanted himself to be number one in the people's eyes and not religion. So it was very much a sort of wipe out anything that would take the attention or regard away from him. Um, later, if you look at the 16th century um, iconoclasm after the Reformation, the protesters against the church in Rome ultimately felt that having this, um, you know, worshipping of objects was, you know, um, idolatry and that mm. this was incorrect. So many of the northern churches and Protestant churches would have completely whitewashed, empty interiors. And even if you go to, say, the um, old church in Amsterdam, all of the old decoration that would have been there is all completely painted over. In some instances, chipped off as well, depending on how serious they were with trying to get rid of the imagery. So it is um, a tradition that's happened in a very, very long time to wipe out the opposition, I suppose. Jessica, thank you very much for taking us through all of that. That's Jessica Fahey, who is an art historian.